pray with me. Thank you, Father, for amazing grace. Thank you that our future ultimately is very secure, that you hold us in your hands. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And thank you for the call of Jesus to follow him. And the call of Jesus to walk with him and to go into all the world and make disciples. Thank you for those who came into this part of the world and began a disciple-making process when this country was very young. We love you. We praise you. Give us courage. Give us wisdom. Give us insight. And use us, Lord, your glory until the whole world knows the amazing grace of God our Father and of Jesus our Lord. In his name we pray, amen. I invite you to turn in your Bible. Now, this morning I'm using the Good News Translation. I want to invite you to turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. And while you're doing that, I want to, uh, I want to urge you again. During these days of COVID, we don't know how long this will last. And some days we think, maybe we should start our Sunday school back up full-blown. And other days we think... But four people died out of this little church of 20. And so during these times, um, as I've searched and prayed, and I shared Brother Dave, shared with our lead team staff, some of our deacons have gone through this, this little book that I found will help you at home. Five days, one chapter of Scripture a day, asking questions of the Scripture training yourself to look in the scripture and read it for yourself. That doesn't nullify the place of teaching. That doesn't nullify the place of preaching. But it elevates the place of every believer being able to look into God's word and the Holy Spirit teach us. That's one thing Baptists have always stood for. The competency, the soul competency of every believer and then whatever small group you've got, your safe group, maybe it's your family. Maybe it's people that uh, live next to you. You might live in a, in a gated community like I do, down a long driveway. And the gate, there is a gate. There's like a cattle gate. So it's my gated community. But, but maybe you can do it with your extended family, whoever your safe group is. And we're asking that our Sunday school teachers consider... Some of them may want to use this even in Sunday school. We will begin going through this. I'll begin going through it. The New Testament, there are four books. If you go through all four of them in four years, you'll go through the entire Bible. I think it'd be a blessing to every person in this room. I think it'd be a blessing to every person in the world that every day or five days a week, you looked at one chapter of the Bible and went through the whole Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. I can't see any negative to that. But uh, if you are interested, you'd like to get one of these little books, make sure you take that yellow card and you put on there that you want to participate or you want one of the books. We'll begin in the book of Matthew. Now, I'm asking the church to go along and help me with this and do an experiment. We don't know when COVID will not be a big factor. We hope that it's not next week, but I'm pretty certain it will be. We hope that by the end of the year that it's not there. We hope we'll be able to start our Sunday school classes up and return to what used to be normal, but we don't know if that's going to happen. In the meantime, we've had a lot of time pass. 
And we need to make sure that we are making an opportunity for people to look into the Word and get some help to do that. And if you'll do that, uh, you're going to grow in your faith, and God is going to bless His Word. How many of you know that God always blesses His Word? His Word will not go out and come back without accomplishing His purposes. So I invite you to do that. Respond to the challenge. Uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14. After John had been put into prison, Jesus went to Galilee and preached the good news from God. The right time has come, he said. And the kingdom of God is near. So turn away from your sins and believe the good news. And as Jesus walked along the shore of Galilee, he saw two fishermen, Simon. What's Simon's name that we typically call him? Peter. Who gave him that name? Jesus did. Jesus saw Simon and his brother Andrew catching fish with a net. And Jesus said to them, come with me. Or, what does it say in your translation? Say it out loud all at once. Follow me. Come after me. Follow me. And I will teach you to catch people. I will make you become fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and went with him. He went a little farther on and he saw two other, two other brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were in their boat getting their nets ready. And as soon as Jesus saw them, he called them and he left their fa- they left their father Zebedee in the boat and, and the hired men And they went with Jesus. Now, go back probably one page to the last chapter of Matthew, chapter 28. (laughs) And look at verse 18. Actually, verse 16. Jesus has been crucified, he has been resurrected, and he has met with the disciples. And the 11 disciples went to the hill in Galilee. Why are there 11 and not 12? Because Judas betrayed him and hung himself. And when they saw him, They worshiped him. Oh my. Don't you long to see our Lord? Don't you look forward to the day face to face? I want to tell you, when we see his face, the style of our music will not matter. We will worship. When they saw him, they worshiped him, even though some of them doubted. In verse 18, Jesus drew near and he said unto them, I have been given all authority. The Bible says that that God, through the resurrection of Jesus, declared him to be Lord. Capital L O, capital O, capital R, capital D. Lord, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the decision maker. The one to whom all honor and all glory belongs. The one who is all powerful. God declared him through the resurrection as he raised him from the dead, declared him to be Lord of all. And so Jesus said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go then to all people everywhere. And make them my disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I will be with you always to the end of the ages. Mark's gospel comes after Jesus. His, the setting comes in chapter 1 after Jesus or after John has been put into prison. And I want you to remember that in the, the gospel of John, as Jesus came up toward the river, John had been baptizing and he had been teaching these disciples of his, those followers of him, those who attach themselves to him to hear the word of God, to learn how to be, become people who walk in a right relationship with God. And John had said to them, there's someone coming after me. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. He is greater than I am, and I must decrease and he must increase. My job is to point to him, not to me. And when Jesus walked up to submit to baptism, John said to disciples, Peter, James, John, Andrew, this whole group was part of John's group, this, these four, and he said to them, look, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the whole earth. And so John John had shared with them that one was coming who was God's lamb. Now, what is significant about that? I was reading this week, Debbie and I have been working through this in the Old Testament. And in Genesis, in the Old Testament, when God called Abraham to follow him, in essence, God said, Abraham, I want you to leave your family, your kin, your kith, your, your world as you know it, and I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you. The, the idea that I'm sending you to a place and I will show you when we get there indicates that Abraham did not walk alone. He had to follow God to get to where God wanted him to be. There's the idea of a friend and a disciple following God. And when Abraham got there, God had promised him that through his own son, God would bless him and he blessed the world. And he blessed all the people of the world through Abraham's seed. And you know the story, Abraham's faith <clears throat> was tested. Abraham didn't do everything right. His wife, Sarah, said, Abraham, let's Let's face it. Let's just, let's get real. Anybody ever tell you, let's get real? Listen, if they tell you, let's get real about this, and their version of reality does not match the promise of God, shut your ears. Because God promises, and he cannot and will not and never will lie. He will keep all his promises. Abraham, take Take my servant. And as a result of what in that culture was a legitimate, though we look at it, it's illegitimate. And God looked at it, it was basically illegitimate. And so Ishmael was born. Ishmael was not the son of promise. Ishmael was a son of the mind thinking how we're going to help God fulfill this promise. Any of you ever have the junior Holy Spirit complex? You ever think, God, I just need to help you out a little bit, so I'm going to figure this thing out. And then we're going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to use my mind on this. We need to use our mind. The Bible tells us to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind. We need to use our mind, but we never let our mind contradict what God has promised. And so over time, Ishmael goes away, and God brings his word to be true. 90-year-old Sarah had a baby by Abraham, and they named him Isaac. How many of you know what, what Isaac means, the name? That's why you need to be in this little book reading your Bible. 
Sorry. Isaac means laughter. Because when God told Abraham, you're going to have a boy, and Abraham was going to be 100 years old when that happened, he said, <laughs> wow, that's pretty cool, 100-year-old having a baby. And when Sarah, God told her, you're going to have a baby next year about this time, and she laughed, but it wasn't that kind of laughter. It was the other kind of laughter. You've got to be kidding me. So when Isaac, the son of God's promise, got to be a young, young lad, God said, Abraham, I want you to take this son, this, this only son you have, that's, that's your lineage, you and Sarah, your only son that's legitimate here, and I want you to go to a, to a mountain I'm going to show you, and there I want you to sacrifice your son. And Abraham walked with his servants and his son for three days. They carried wood. They carried coals for the fire in, a, in a, some kind of compartment they had with, I'm sure, ashes to keep the coal hot. I'm sure that was a long walk. Some of you have walked through dark, deep valleys, journeys, where you had to let go of a son, a daughter, a husband, a wife, father, a mother, a friend, And that walk is a long, hard walk. I don't know what went through Abraham's mind. But on the third day, he told his servants, he saw the mountain in the distance that God spoke to him about, and he he said, y'all stay here. We're going to go worship God up there, Mount Moriah. And then we're going to come back, and we'll go home. And then the boy carried the wood, or, or carried part of it, Abraham carried part of it, and they walked together up to that hill, and there Abraham prepared <clears throat> he prepared to sacrifice his son. And God says, Stop. I, I didn't I never really wanted you to I don't want you to kill your son. I don't do that human sacrifice thing. But I wanted to know that you love me more than you love your son. God tested his faith. When God calls us to follow him, when he invites us to follow Jesus, he tests periodically our faith. But I want to talk about that call to follow Jesus. And this morning, three things about that call. First of all, that call to follow Jesus. Jesus said to these men, well, he said, first of all, The kingdom of heaven is near, and the kingdom of heaven has come. It is still coming, but it's come in the person and the work of Jesus. And after the resurrection, God enthroned him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and the kingdom of heaven is here. When Christ calls us to follow him, I want you to hear me. He calls us to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ and to embrace his kingdom. The New Testament, in the beginning and in the last chapter, and all between, is about the kingdom of God being established. There's a new people that God has created to occupy his eternal kingdom, and the only way you get there is by being born of the Holy Spirit, by being born again of the Spirit. So he called these disciples to follow him immediately after he said, repent, the kingdom of God is here, change your whole way of thinking, embrace God's kingdom. And then he found these men, he said, follow me. And that's, that's how God does. There is, when he calls us to embrace Christ, it is so much more than merely having our sins forgiven. God's call to Christ is a call to submit to the Lordship of Jesus, and by submitting to Jesus to receive the gift of the salvation of Jesus. 
You don't hear much said about that. You hear through, through shallow evangelism only the part about God loves you and He does. You hear the part about God wants to save you and He does. But you don't hear much about the part about the Lordship of Christ or embracing Him and being born again. Repentance is not merely the repentance of a particular sin in your life. Repentance is from the very act of sin that dominates all of our life, and that is our right to rule and reign in our own lives. And we have to bow that to Christ and enthrone Him and embrace Him as Lord. There are those who teach, I believe, erroneously and falsely, that... All you have to do is just believe and be saved. And then you worry about that lordship later. And in fact, you don't even have to worry about that. If you, if you said a prayer, I've known people that said, if you could get people to repeat a formula, but Jesus said there are going to be those who say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this? And didn't I do this? And he'll say, depart from me, you're working with evil. I didn't know you. And why would he say that? Because you didn't do the will of my father. And so... The person who comes to Christ and says, I'm going to trust you for salvation. I want that fire insurance policy, but I want to keep living how I want to and never bows their knee to him as Lord. That's a dangerous thing to try to do. The word Savior, how many times do you think that's in the New Testament? Let me ask you a question. Which, which word, Lord or Savior, do you think is found more in the New Testament? Anybody want to guess? Oh, come on, I'm not going to. We're not going to argue. Of course, you figured that out already. Y'all are pretty smart people. Savior is found in the New Testament, depending on the translation, how they translate, but pretty much if you go in the New American Standard, real solid word-for-word translation, Savior, I believe, is found 34 times. Any guess about how many times the Lord is found? 700 and 30 plus. Where do you think God's emphasis is? You see, let's look at some scriptures. <clears throat> Acts 2, 32. Acts 2, 32. Follow with me. Turn in your Bible. I love to hear people looking in their Bible. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit had been, God had promised it'd come and, and uh, Peter is preaching and explaining all the unusual signs that are going on. And Peter said, God, he's preaching to the Jews who are assembled and want to know what's going on. He said, God has raised this very Jesus from death, and we're witnesses to the fact. And he has raised him to the, to the right side of God the Father and has received from him, Jesus has received from him the Holy Spirit as he's promised. And you see what you see today is he's pouring that Holy Spirit out upon his disciples, his people. For it was not David who went into heaven, uh, but rather he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit here at my right hand until I put your enemies as your footstool under you. He's quoting a scripture from Psalm 2 where David said, the Lord said to my Lord. And the Jews wanted to think this refers to David. But David said, the Lord God said to my Lord. And what they're saying is, that David's Lord was Jesus Christ. That all the Old Testament scriptures that relate to David, that relate to Abraham are found and the fulfillment is in Jesus Christ. Look down at verse 36. And all the people of Israel then are to know for sure that this Jesus whom you crucified is the one that God has made Lord and Messiah. And the people heard this, they were deeply troubled and they said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? And Peter said, each one of you must turn away from your sins or repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ 
so that your sins will be forgiven and you'll receive God's gift, the Holy Spirit. For God's promise was made to you, to your children, and to all who are far away and to all who all whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The very desire to know Jesus is God's call to you to embrace Christ. And as you embrace Christ the Lord, his work of salvation is bestowed as a gift upon you and me. And that work includes the Holy Spirit who coming into your life and into my life, merges into my spirit and brings God's life into us. A life that cannot die. This body will die. Some of you may have detected that, I hope you haven't, but uh, may have detected that I have one of my front teeth, old crown, break off, even at the gum line. They're telling me they can't, can't fix it without doing implants. And then they're telling me how much implants are going to cost. And I'm like, I'd like to retire one day. But this body, no matter how much money we spend on it, how much time we spend on it, it's going to decay because this body is not me. It's my house. And it's temporary. But when we come to Christ, He bestows a gift. And that gift of the Spirit merges with my spirit. And born again, I'm a whole new person. And so are you if you come to Christ. That's the gift of the Lord to those who believe. Look at Romans 10, 9 and 10. Some of you know those verses, but turn your Bible and mark them. Who can tell me what Romans 10, 9 and 10 say? Paul is writing and he's, he's, he's saying this word of confession is near you. You don't have to ascend into heaven. You don't have to go down to hell. This word of salvation is near you. It's even in your mouth. And verse 9 says, If you confess that Jesus is Lord. Our central affirmation is not Jesus is Savior, it's Jesus is Lord. The Bible knows nothing of salvation apart from the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You say, Gary, how could I possibly know when I came to Christ what that Lordship would entail in my life? You couldn't. You couldn't. But when you receive Christ, you have to receive Him as Lord over all that you know about your life. What am I saying? I'm saying you don't come to Christ with, with half of your life held back. You don't come to Christ and say, God, I'll follow you and I accept your salvation, but you leave that other stuff alone. But people try to do that. I mean, if you wanted to be my friend and you said, Gary, I really like you, but I don't want to be around your wife. Now, it'd probably be the other way around, honestly. I mean, what kind of friendship would that be? You don't come to Jesus with holding on to all this in your life. You come to him and you say, Lord, I bow my knee to you. I take you as my Lord and Savior. I don't know all that that entails. And as you face difficulties and testings and trials, the Bible teaches that those that God calls to himself will endure and persevere and overcome. And the promises of heaven are to those who are overcomers. Why are you overcomers? Because when you got saved, it was real. <clears throat> Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is by our faith that we're put right with God. It is by our confession that we are saved. And what is the confession? Jesus is. The scripture says whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. This includes everyone. There's no difference 
between the Jews, the Gentiles. God is the same Lord of all and richly blesses all who call to Him. As the Scripture says, everyone who calls out to the Lord will be saved. Turn over to Acts 16, or turn backwards, not very far from Romans 10. Acts 16. Paul has gone into Philippi. He's met, Christ, he's met people who are God-seekers. They're not Christians. He's met God-seekers, and he shares Christ with them, and there Lydia gives her life to Christ. She opens up her home. See, when you submit your life to Christ, you come and bring to him everything, and everything that you own becomes his. Now, in the big picture, it's all his anyway. How many of you think you own land? A hundred years from now, you're not going to live on it. It won't be yours. You have stewardship over it as a representative of Christ. He found Lydia, and, and God must have spoken to Lydia. She opened up her home, and she invited people in. Does the Bible say God expects all of us to bring everybody into our home? That's what he did with Lydia. But he did it with Lydia because Lydia accepted Christ as Lord. And if, if He's your Lord and He speaks to your heart, He's now the decision maker in your life. And so Paul went there. Then he began to operate out of that as a home base. And oh, there was a, a situation with a demonized girl that were being used slave, profiteering off of, off of human bodies is not a new thing. It's been going on since the days of Nimrod in the Old Testament. These men were using this girl and her, her sad life controlling demon situation because apparently she had some demonic insight into uh, whatever the devil showed her or some way of conveying to people fortune telling and they were selling her and keeping her in that condition of course they didn't know any way about not keeping her there listen to me the world wants to profit off of you Jesus wants you to be free and Paul she followed Paul around and wherever he went she said, listen to these men. She must have said it derisively. We don't know how she said it, but Paul did not want to do what he did, but in a public place, he said, in the name of Jesus, come out of you, her. And the demon left her, and she didn't have the same power she had before. And so the guys who were making money off of her attacked Paul. And Paul got beaten and put in in the city jail in Philippi. And there in the jail, he and Silas at midnight were singing praises to God. I still love what Bob Harrington said. We know they were not Baptists because they weren't calling their pastor. They were singing and praising God. I'm a Baptist. And I, he said that as a joke, and I said as a joke, but I'm telling you, not many of us would be singing and praising God if we were in prison, would we? That's what Paul and Silas did. And God sent an earthquake. The jailer was asleep, and he woke up, and the earthquake was happened, and the doors were open in the jail, the, stocks on, the, the chains on his feet came off. God did a miraculous opportunity of deliverance, but you know what? Paul and Silas didn't run from his circumstances. The jailer got up and thought everybody escaped. And in the Roman law, if you're guarding a prisoner and he escapes and he is under a sentence of death, you get the death. You take his place. And so the jailer knew that he would be killed but, but tortured. And so he took a sword to kill himself. And Paul said, stop, don't do that. We're here. Don't hurt yourself. And here's, here's the thing that's amazing. There is no way for that 
that, that we know of, there's always a way that we don't know of, but there's no indication of that jailer ever having any experience at all of hearing the gospel about Jesus, except Paul and Silas in the jail singing and praying and praising God. And what does the jailer say? What must I do to be saved? It's a sobering thought to me that I pass through this world and interface and interact with so many thousands of people and to wonder if I were in their custody for one night, would they know that they need to be saved? And look at what Paul said. Believe in, verse 31, believe in, I can't hear you, thank you for helping me, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your family. And so the jailer, and they preached to him the word of the Lord. You see, the Bible refers to Jesus. We talk about he's my Savior, and he is if he's our Lord. But the Bible refers to him 700 times in the New Testament alone as Lord. God's emphasis on the Lordship of Christ in our life. Philippians chapter 3, down at verse 7 through 10, Paul is He's writing and he said, these Jews are coming and preaching that you don't have to do this or you, you, know, or you have to do this, you have to do that. He said, I, I was privileged. I was born a Jew of the Jews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And then he lists all these human accolades that should give him in Judaism a standing with God. And he said, but the things that were gained to me, I count as loss for the privilege of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things did you get that Jesus said the gospel the message of the gospel is like a pearl of great value and the pearl merchant comes in and he sees this one pearl that is of tremendous value. And he goes and he sells all of his treasures in order to purchase this one pearl. The kingdom of God is like a, like a treasure that's hidden in the field. A few years back there was a treasure that was hidden in the mountains out in Colorado, a bag of gold that somebody deposited. And when he got up 40 years later, he created this, uh, gave hints, and gold hunters were going through all the mountains out in Colorado, Wyoming, and in that area trying to follow the hints. And one man found it. Went from whatever to being the richest guy, getting this whole big bag of gold. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like that, that a treasure is buried in the field. You don't go tell everybody about that treasure. You go and you sell all your land and all your houses and you come back and you buy that land where the treasure is buried so you can have the treasure. Paul said, in essence, Christ is, a, he is the pearl of great price. He's the treasure that is worthy of forsaking all that I know and leaving behind and selling. I, I count it all as loss for the supreme privilege of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17 through 20 tells us this. tells us that Jesus lived, died, and was raised from the dead so that he might in all things have preeminence. 
There are many Christians in whom Christ is present, but maybe not prominent. I want to ask you, if you claim that Christ is present in your life, is He prominent? Can people tell? Do you speak of Him? Do you walk with Him? Is He prominent? But you know, He didn't die and be raised from the grave to be prominent. He died and gave His life to be preeminent. What does that mean? That means first place. First place above all else. Christ is above my loyalty and my love for my wife, and no other human being is above that. He is above my loyalty and my love to my family. He is above my loyalty and love even for my own self, that he might have first place in all of our lives and in all the world. And the Bible teaches us, yes, we're going through some times that seem to be uncertain, but hear me. There are no uncertainties with our God, our Father. The time will come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. When Christ calls us, He calls us to embrace Him as the preeminent one. Now, you may say, Gary, I, I understand that, but I'm really struggling in this area, or I'm struggling with that, or, 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 or. so in, does it mean that instantly all this takes effect? You know, Instantly within the moment of decision, we enthrone him as Lord. But the rest of our lives, in small ways, in moments of decision and crisis, we work out and we walk that out in our life. Which will bring up my next point, that when Christ calls us, he calls us to embrace Christ as Lord and to follow him as disciples. But that's for another week. You can breathe out now. Bug said she had till 12 o'clock noon. But I don't. And you don't. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning? Is Christ prominent? Well, wait, let's go back. Is he present in your life? Is he present? If you have, as a thinking person, on the level, understood that he died for you and that he calls you to follow him and that he wants to forgive your sins, if you've responded to that, and you've confessed him as your Savior and your Lord. And the Bible teaches us he's present in your life, but he is not content to be just present. He wants to be prominent, but not just prominent. He wants to be preeminent. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? There may be some this morning that need to give their life to Christ. There may be some this morning that God is calling you to a deeper level of giving yourself than you've heard him say before. There may be some that God is calling you not just to be a disciple, but to be a special ministry job that he has for you. All are called to be disciples, followers. All are called to be committed totally to Christ. All are called to be disciple makers. But some he gives special jobs. Maybe God's speaking to you about that. 
Or maybe there's an area that you're struggling in. Why don't you do business with God this morning? After I sing, we're going we're gonna to have a time of invitation. Brother Dave is going to come to the front. And if you need to respond to him, just you know, wear your mask. But respond either where you are. Lord, here's the kind of prayer I would pray. Lord, I give you all of me. And all of me that I know, I surrender to you for all that you are and all that I find you to be in the future. Come into my heart. Take over my life. And change me into the person you want me to be. Lord, I bring to you this struggle. Somebody may be struggling with God's call into a special kind of ministry. Somebody may be struggling with a habit that you know dishonors God and you don't want to be that way. Have you ever brought that to the feet of Jesus and said, Lord, I can't, but you can't take this from me. Some of you may be struggling with fear and God's word is fear not. I am your Lord. I am the first and I'll be the last and my kingdom will stand. COVID will disappear but my kingdom will stand. Father, in Jesus' name, help us to hear your voice and to respond to what your spirit is saying this morning as you call us to follow you as Lord and to receive you as our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? And as the Holy Spirit works in your heart, would you respond to whatever God is calling you to do? the same.
to the new church here in September and project out for one year. The, 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 the D-Life books cover enough Bible study material for 52 weeks. And so the new church year begins on September 1st. We are trying to think of and, and how we need to be operating as a church in a context that nobody likes, but yet exists, and therefore we need to try to respond to it. We need to get back to doing what God wants us to do the way God wants us to do it. Be in prayer for that. Amen. Be looking forward to that. We can hear more about it during the month of August. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's send us on our way. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for being in control of all situations. Give us wisdom as we seek to move forward in this time where circumstances are, uh, are, are present that we don't like, but yet we need to be able to be your church and be your people during this time. Give us wisdom as we move forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.